Hello, Maverick fans. Welcome to another edition of the Mav Puck Cast. Jason, Jolene, Bridget, John, and we're here to talk hockey again. Can we talk about anything else? Oh yeah, <laughs> tickets and food and occasionally bathrooms. There are other topics. Okay, they're all usually around hockey, but sure. Yeah, you know. Welcome to the Party Podcast, folks. Good weekend for the Mavericks. At least Saturday night was a good night for the Mavericks. Jason, what are your thoughts about how the weekend went? Uh, you know, it went as I kind of expected. I figured North Dakota would put in more of an effort on Friday than they would on Saturday, just because there was more on the line on Friday at that point in time. And, you know, I thought UNO came out and played really, really well on Friday. Uh, I think good enough to win. But uh, as usual, just, you know, North Dakota hangs around and, and over time just kind of killed us. But uh, that's what it is. You know, they got a point out of it. And we kind of already knew where we were going to be. John and I talked last week about it. So for us, it was more of a, you know, getting your, your wheels ready for, for next weekend. Yeah, I mean, I had picked that they would sweep last week because I wanted them to sweep. And it was, God, they were so close that comeback in the third period. I think, I don't know about you guys, but that would have been such a great ending in overtime to have won the thing. And we had a great look at the net and he, and I can't remember who was skating in with the puck into our offensive zone. And he like, he dumped it off to one of the other guys. And it's like, just shoot the puck, just put it on net. Ugh. And it didn't end up working out. So North Dakota scored. It was an interesting game. It's always an interesting vibe when the North Dakota fans come to Baxter Arena. I've had all kinds of thoughts the last 48 hours on how we minimize the number of visiting fans at Baxter Arena. It's a combination of selling more season tickets and banning certain zip codes from buying tickets on Ticketmaster if the system allows it. I mean, I know we want to make money on ticket sales and we want to sell lots of beer. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the outdoor game back in, I guess that was 2013. I think that was the 2012-2013 season. Like the baseball stadium, TD Ameritrade Park, where they had the outdoor game against North Dakota, like they sold out of beer at the ballpark because of the North Dakota fans. This is something we heard. So I'm sure that they like the economic impact of that, but it was, uh, it's always tough. It's always tough to have to deal with a very enthusiastic fan base in there. So I was hoping we would get a strong start on Friday, but uh, we did not. We looked like we were on our heels a little bit. What a great comeback though, for them to come back and tie it in the, the third period. They didn't give up. There was no quit in them uh, to take it to overtime was unexpected, uh, but a good, good outcome because I think it set them up for a little bit more success on Saturday night yeah, for sure and Saturday night was their first final home game win in Baxter so that's the first time that we've seen them win their last game and uh somebody else pointed out that it was the first time that they've won their last home game since the 2010-2011 season it's crazy I knew we hadn't seen one at Baxter and I just didn't realize how how far back it went so <laughs> You could tell that the players were so excited about that win, though. Yeah, that's really crazy statistically when you when you think about that. It seems bizarre because we've had good seasons, good teams. We made a couple of like three NCAA tournaments in there. So uh, I guess nice to finish strong against a, a top team uh, in college hockey. We usually finish the season with them anyway. It alternates between Grand Forks and, uh, and Omaha. I will tell you, the one thing I did want to bring up is I don't know if I like the standard operating procedure in the conference of 
if you win the Penrose Cup, which is winning the regular season championship, that you get to take the Penrose Cup, skate it around the ice, celebrate with it, pose with it. I almost think if you're on an opposing rink, you should have to, you know, do that quietly in the locker room amongst yourselves, right? Right. I mean, someday maybe when we're in a position to do that up at Grand Forks, maybe I'll be like, oh yeah, let's skate that sucker around. But it just, it just bugged me. I'm, I'm sure I'm a sore loser, but it just kind of bugged me. It's a, you know, it's a TV play. You know, they need the exposure. The league needs the recognition. And so the fact that everything's on NCHC TV and, you know, you're trying to get it more, you know, we've talked about getting on like ESPN and CBS sports and stuff, and you're trying to get more exposure to those national broadcast stuff. You know, they need those kinds of things to make a pomp and circumstance around that cup and, and that achievement. So I, yeah, I, I think as a fan, it sucks because you just don't like to see the visiting team celebrate anything really. Uh, but as a hockey fan, I'm like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you can't just like quietly hand it to them, you know, in a back room and storage closet or something like that. Like we should do that storage closet, you know, on the <laughs> bus, on the way back to the hotel or the airport, wherever I'm fine with that. Yeah. Just I mean, leave it sitting on the first step of the bus so that they trip over it on the way in. Yeah, ex- exactly. Just, just put it by the restroom in the back of the bus. That's I'm, I'm down with that. That'd be great. Perfect. Perfect idea, Jason. We got that figured out. So looking at the games, anything, anything else you guys want to point out? Any other thoughts on these two games? Great to get a split, as Jolene pointed out. Great to uh, win our final uh, regular season game at Baxter Arena, a first uh, for this, uh, this facility. Thoughts about the, the team, thoughts about the coaching, thoughts about anything else? Well, so it was senior night last night. And we had yep. nine seniors um, or grad students. Uh, one, I think it's great that they had such a good night. I mean, Primo with with two goals, but also like, yeah, next year's going to be tough with with losing all of them. Yeah, it's going to be tough losing uh, losing those players we know are not coming back, and potentially other players that we don't know about who might not come back. Going to be a lot of new players. I was just going through the uh, list of incoming recruits for the next couple of seasons Jason and I'll probably talk about that on a on a future podcast here in the next uh, month or so but it's going to be a lot of fresh faces and a lot of really long last names so I'm going to be curious to see how those fit on jerseys when those players I'm, I'm just waiting for the two-line name jerseys so it'd be kind of fun it's gonna, it's yeah. gonna make our signs hard too. We have to. We're gonna lose six signs this year. So the girls and I are gonna have to spend the summer making coming up with new signs. But yeah, get some right smaller, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, some, you know, and the part that well, the part that interests me the most moving into next season is is what do we do in the transfer portal? Because I look at the recruits and going like I don't think that we can expect to have a successful season relying so heavily on first year players. Uh, I think they're, I ex- fully expect that the cabinet and the coaching staff and admin are going to be out looking at some of these kids that are, you know, willing to leave the school that they're at and say, that's probably the way to maintain competitiveness in this league because we don't have, and we've talked about this before. We don't have the recruiting acronym that, Denver and Dakota and, and them all do. So um, I just think we're going to have to broaden beyond, beyond, you know, the guys that 
that we know are coming as uh, as a recruiting commitment. Well, and looking at the the nine players that are leaving, three of those, Tyconic, McManus, and Conley, all came to us as transfers and made a significant impact. So I think that that's a wise thing to to look ahead to is how we can supplement what we've got. Yep, it's it's definitely going to be fascinating. So we've got to do our players of the week. This time we got four players of the week. So we should have invited like, you know, we should have had two more feeds going of like four more people. So we just have eight players. We just pick most of the roster here uh, uh, for the weekend. So. Or nine, we could just make it easy and everyone picks one of the seniors and we're done. <laughs> yeah. I, <they're, laughs> you know. That oh, yeah, so he didn't easy. play. Uh. <laughs> we're going to let Jolene go first. She gets the entire pick of the roster for player of the weekend against North Dakota. I am going to go with Chase Primo because he had, you know, such a great night on Saturday night, you know, impact player. He was out, you know, a little bit before. So to come back and have such a big game at the end, that that's where I'm going to go with. I was really pulling for him to get the hat trick. I'm sure that they probably said the word hat trick on the radio because it's been pissing me off all season that he jinxed that, and that's why. But I'm sure, man, I wanted to get that last too. one. <laughs> I was so waiting. I'm like, just I know this game game means nothing to you, North Dakota, but pull your goalie. <laughs> all right. So is Bridget going next? I will go next. Uh, and. Knowing that there were four of us, I went with a little bit more of an obscure pick, but somebody who I think has had an impact, not just on this weekend, but also uh, the last couple weekends, and that's Austin Roden. And boy, he has really come into his own. Uh, Seville has a big shadow and big shoes, and uh, Roden came in capably on Friday night. Uh, we had heard that Seville was uh, under, the we- under the weather. We're not sure what that meant or if it was a nagging injury or, or things like that, but he had filled in last weekend and then he came in on Friday night and made some big stops that allowed us to get back into the game. And uh, again, it was just unfortunate that North Dakota had scored in overtime because I felt like he really had earned his, uh, his tie and definitely would have earned the win uh, if they'd been able to get it. So thumbs up for Austin Roden. We're talking some of the, the guys that I hang out with and everything. Uh, we're chatting about what, John and I will talk about, which is, you know, players that are leaving. And some of those, as, as John mentioned earlier in the, in this podcast was, you know, there's, there's some guys that we don't know. They're not seniors that are going to elect to take their, their talents and their skill set to the next level. Uh, and we don't know who that is. And so we were talking in the concourse at one point about whether or not Seville is one of those players and decides, you know, since he is a Vegas draft pick to, um, you know, to head out there and see, you know, what he can do and not. And it's funny because they're like, oh, well, if he does, you know, we're, we're screwed, you know, like what, who's our goaltender? I'm like, I really don't know that Roden's like that bad. <laughs> I don't think you guys are giving him credit. Like, he's a very capable and I'm confident enough to say with the way that he's played the last few weeks, as, as Bridget mentioned, that We'll be okay. I'm not. I'm not that worried if if Seville does decide that you know it's his time to go, you know, try for the next level. I hope that he doesn't. I hope that he comes back because it's a joy watching him play, and, and I think that we're a better team with Seville. But uh, I'm not. I'm not worried if we have to. If we have to start Roden. Yeah. I, no. I completely agree. He uh, he was a great goaltender when he was with the Merritt Centennials and the BCHL, 
Um, and that was not a team that was known for having a lot of offensive prowess. So he had to stop a lot of shots. And, um, and he reminds me of a, a lot of goaltenders we've had in the recent era where he might not be this high NHL draft pick, but he reminds me of a guy like uh, Evan Wenninger and Kirk Thompson and, and guys from that era. So I think he'd definitely be a, a capable starter for UNO next season. So I'm not worried either. Uh, we do have a goalie recruit coming in, which we will talk about uh, in the future. But uh, but I'm glad we have Roden on the roster, and I'm glad he's gotten a chance uh, chance to get into the lineup. And uh, so, Jason, you did not pick your player of the week there. You, would you is, like is Seville his player? Of the is week? Seville your player of the week? No, Seville is not my player of the week. Okay, no. well let's. Let, let, let's, 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 is it yours? Do you want to go? So you can pick. Thanks for that. That lovely poetic. Uh, Poetic tuck there. Well, we were alternating, but I'll go ahead and go. I'm going to pick Tyler Weiss since Jason didn't pick. And here's why I'm going to pick Tyler Weiss because he's a senior. We've talked about him in for an inordinate amount of time on this podcast over the last four seasons because we don't have many opportunities left to pick Tyler Weiss as the player of the week. Jason's <laughs> got the jersey on. He was probably going to pick Tyler. So I completely put him on the spot, but yeah, that's, I'm picking Tyler for no other reason than we got to pick Tyler. If, if mean, four he, of us are picking. He did well. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, he had several he, assists. Four assists on the weekend. Yeah. I'm okay with that. That's a oh, good. Scotty, and look, he had four assists. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. Four assists on the weekend. Sorry for taking your pick, Jason. No. <laughs> Sorry. See, I, you know, I've learned, we've done this long enough, John. But I've learned that I cannot just have one guy going in because anytime I've tried to do that, being like, this is my pick. You always take it. So I'm like, I always have to have a backup plan. Uh, I, you know, the, the challenge that I have is there's so many guys that you want to call out, right? <clears throat> like, I, I thought that the Sullivan's line, uh, Glenn, Randall, you know, that's the, the depth that we talked about last week in scoring that we were kind of lacking some, you know, early on this, uh, this year in January and February a little bit, uh, you know, that's, they were there for us. Like that was huge. Uh, I will say that I think my pick's going to be uh, Captain Conley. I think he showed a lot of emotion. He's always been just a great guy. Uh, I say in the locker room, but for us, it's, you know, in the, in the lobby of Baxter afterwards when we win and stuff. And, and you can tell from talking to the players and stuff that they really respect his leadership qualities. Uh, it was good to see him get a win against Denver. It's been good to see him, you know, finally get past North Dakota and stuff. And I, he's just, he's just that rock for us. Like he's just every week in and out, you know, you're getting his best effort. And, and I love to see that it's going to be a shame not seeing that anymore. Yep. Great pick. Good. Good. We got, we got some seniors in there. Uh, Kevin Conley has definitely been a dependable player over the last few seasons uh, uh, here, and we're definitely going to miss him next season. Great series. Great picks guys. So turning to our first shootout segment, Bridget, would you like to, would you like to mention what our first shootout segment topic is? Yes, and we kind of alluded to this earlier about the uh, North Dakota fan environment. And there was an incident that happened uh, very close to our section, just on the other aisle of our section, our shared section, 
on Friday night that has brought a lot of attention to the North Dakota fan culture and in particular the the negative attributes of having North Dakota fans in your arena. So on Friday night between the first and second period right at the beginning of the intermission there was uh, an incident that occurred between three North Dakota fans that were sitting in our actual row at the other end uh, towards section 217 and a fan that was a few rows down. And the details were kind of sketchy to begin with, but we talked to a couple of fans after Friday night's game and got their eyewitness account. And there had been some verbal sparring between the two groups, uh, primarily over uh, the North Dakota fans apparently called Omaha irrelevant. And so the Omaha fan then said that the Sioux logo was racist. And that led one of the North Dakota fans to run down three or four rows and push the not elderly, but silver haired uh, gentleman. I appear, he appears to be perhaps in his fifties or, or so, uh, maybe early sixties, pushed him over a railing uh, across two rows of seats, which were occupied by fans, and over another railing where he landed on the concrete walkway below. And as a fan, I'm horrified that you would have any situation where a battle of words, which sometimes has happened, would escalate into fans laying hands on uh, other fans. I just cannot fathom how that would be possible, but it did happen. Uh, the three North Dakota fans were detained. One of them was arrested, uh, and we found that he has been charged with felony assault uh, because uh, first-degree assault is a felony in Nebraska. So we'll probably learn more about that in upcoming weeks. But uh, what do you guys think about uh, the – we definitely had a, a lot of North Dakota fans in the arena this weekend. Uh, what did you think about how that incident unfolded? Because you guys had a, a prime view of it as Great. Well, so yeah, they were sitting in, in your row, which was just in front of us to our left. And I told Jason when we sat down, I mean, they were taunting the Omaha fans around them for no reason before before even the pregame started. I mean, the player teams hadn't come out on the ice and they were just running their mouths with beers in both hands. And I said, they won't make it the whole game. Like they're going to get kicked out. It's just a matter of time. Um, but, you know, there were some other fans around us that were, that didn't say anything. And, you know, we've been around North Dakota fans and, you know, a lot of times they're very respectful, but, you know, in this case, they were not. <laughs> um, it, it's the weekend that always makes me want to come sit in my seat and not leave. Like, especially with kids, you know, I love that Omaha hockey is an environment that is family friendly, but the North Dakota weekend is usually the one where it sometimes is not family friendly and you just don't want kids to see that kind of stuff. It's the one series of the year where I wonder how many fans are going to get arrested. Um, you know, and I don't wonder that in any other NCHC series and the feedback on Twitter, you have a lot of North Dakota fans who eventually got blocked by me, um, who were attempting to say, you know, that's a, a rare incident, um, or, you know, not all fans are like that. I understand that, but if you ask any other fans in the league, hey, if you have a series against somebody and, and arrests are a likely outcome, who do you think those fans would be? It's overwhelmingly the North Dakota fans. And I just think that that's, 
it's a problem for their institution. And like I said, the, the Sioux logo seemed to be the spark for that confrontation. And the fact that we're still having those situations, what, 10 years now down the road from their change to the Fighting Hawks suggests that something needs to be done either by their uh, institution or by the league, because that was a, an unacceptable outcome of, you know, what was just started out as, you know, drunk fans being ridiculous. I am always one to say that, you know, a single instance doesn't typically represent a group as a whole, right? Like statistical analysis and stuff. I, I'm a data geek. So this all kind of just pings to me, but it's like, there comes a point where you start going, this is happening more frequently than should be expected. And everyone points out, like I've been following some of the conversation on Twitter and people point out like, oh, well, what about this, you know, instance at this thing? And I'm like, yeah, that happened, right? Like, yeah, there was two idiots that got in a fist fight at, at this game between these two teams and things. But it's like, it's not consistent. And it's like, like, I know people who talk about the Michigan, Michigan State Series. That's a classic example of one that for a long time, having gone to a game between Michigan and Michigan State, like there's a lot of heated, uh, passionate fans that unfortunately are, are blurred by alcohol in, in their decision making. And from my understanding from people in those fan bases, that that's a, that's a regular occurrence between them. But I've seen Michigan, Michigan State against Denver. I, I think we saw Michigan when they came to here to Omaha when we were at the Clink. Yep. And it's like, I don't remember, like, I, I mean, sometimes some of them can be arrogant and stuff, but I don't remember this level of atrocity, you know, when it comes to the altercations. And it's just like, I'm just like so tired of hearing bad stuff about North Dakota because it's like, I don't want to just hate a team because they're a team, but it's like, my God, we had, we had problems in Denver when I was a fan back then with North Dakota. And then you had the whole thing about, you know, them trying to give the kid a better chance when you really had no business recruiting them. And like, there's just a lot of things like that that are just extremely questionable decisions at an organization level. Well, and we've been a visiting fan at some hostile arenas. Um, we've been a fan at Yoast and, uh, I remember there were several instances where the home fans at Yost Ice Arena were harassing the player parents. They dumped, you know, pop and popcorn on our players on the bench during the game. Um, and in fact, the a couple of the player parents during that same game got ejected and had to sit up by us. But it was because they were being threatened by Michigan students who had come over from the student section and the uh, arena ushers took the, the student side of stuff. Um, but when you go into an opposing arena, you have to have some kind of expectation of decorum. Uh, I, I just think, again, that you're a guest in someone else's house. John and I have been to what, over 100 road games throughout our 25 years with Maverick Hockey, and you cheer hard for your team. There's no you know, reason you can't use your voice loudly, but you don't, you don't act like a jerk, and you certainly don't get into physical altercations with the other fans. I always hate stuff like this. And I think I hate it even more that we were sitting close by it because I was like looking way on the other side of our, our sections fairly large for those who don't know in 216. So I was looking at the other side and there was just this grouping of people and then event staff came up and then you saw the police and it was, 
there was just a whole thing. I, I, I always want to, you know, come up with solutions to this and, and look at it logistically. I don't know if there's a way to, you know, limit the number of single game tickets. I know they want to make money and I know they want to sell beer or limit the single game tickets or the visiting fan tickets to um, certain sections some of those upper bowl sections that don't look like they have much in the way of season ticket holders up there, putting like all of the visiting fans up there together. Sure. They'd be loud and everything, but they'd all be together. Cause usually like when we go to a visiting arena and when we took the, when we used to do a uh, math puck bus trips, they would put us all in a section where they wanted us to be so that we were away from fans, but we just kind of, we let people buy tickets anywhere. And I know some of that is the box office just selling single game tickets to whoever wants them. Uh, some of it's uh, our season ticket holders deciding to sell their tickets to North Dakota fans, hoping to make a buck. Um, I, I just wish that there was something we could do it because we took a bus trip uh, to Ralph Engelstad Arena back in 2011. And number one, it was hard to get tickets. But number two, they put us in a particular section and they had extra staff watching our bus trip trial just in case there were issues. There weren't any issues, but but I think sometimes as the arena, you have to be a little bit proactive about that in order to avoid some issues because, you know, people are going to drink before they come into the arena and then they're going to drink at the arena and you can't control how much alcohol is flowing through their bloodstream. So that usually is the is kind of the the precipitating factor that causes some of this stuff to happen. So I I, I hate these instance, instances. I mean, people are still talking about it on Twitter and I'm like, I've. I've kind of moved on, but I, I hate to see, you know, fans behaving badly, whether it's our fans or another team's fans. I don't like it. There's a lot of things that, that you can do. Like, I don't think you're ever going to implement a solution that's going to completely prevent this. Uh, I think it's a, it's a common one. There's a lot of arenas that do, you know, single game seats are only sold for these sections. Uh, and that's usually like season wide. Like they just don't, they don't do it. Um, I know some arenas, they don't sell season tickets at all in certain sections. That's It's limited to just single use seats only in those sections. And that kind of helps, you know, negate some of this because the fans that are that are, are real fans or something, they know that's you don't want to sit there if you're coming to watch Omaha at Omaha, unless you're, you know, part of the visiting team or something. And I think that can help. I think there's some stuff that I've, I've seen in Colorado that, that seems to have made a difference that I think Omaha should implement. Um, I think one, there's rules at every sporting event at pretty much every level, as far as I'm aware of, because I know people who have been denied entry to Coors Field for baseball games. Uh, and I know people who have been denied entry to DU games. If a ticket taker decides that you are too intoxicated to enter the arena you don't enter the arena and if you i mean if you throw a fit and you fight it the police are right there and they will remove you and there is no like it says in the terms of use and privacy policies when you buy the ticket that you're at that discretion of them if you seem like you're intoxicated and they decide not to let you in you have no recourse so you know police yourself basically uh, and then the extension of that is, is give, give the people selling concessions more latitude to say, you're clearly intoxicated. I'm not going to sell you any more alcohol. I'm just not like, I know we got the two beer rule, but 
I saw North Dakota fans carrying four. So I, and being the guy who works around rules, like I know how to get around that fairly easily. So it's not that difficult to, you know, overbuy alcohol sales and things like that. I, I really think that you need to say, look, you're here. If they look like they're intoxicated, just tell them, no, we will not sell you alcohol. And you'll be backed up 100%. And that's your decision. And let them, let them decide because it's, I really feel like this altercation is more of fans just being stupid and, and not controlling their alcohol intake as, you know, more so than a systemic issue or anything like that. Like, I really want to believe that it was just a stupid decision that unfortunately is going to cause a lot of problems. And you knew it moving in because I usually, you might see, like every once in a while, I'll see a police officer at the, at the top of the stairs when we come in. But a lot of times, like, I don't even notice them. And that's the only time I might see them. I know just from there to our seats, I saw five on Friday night. Like, yeah. fully dressed, handguns out. Like, the fact that you felt like you needed to have them there says says a lot, I think. Yeah, it definitely does. It's it's definitely an interesting environment for those two games. And I know that other NCHC teams, uh, you know, St. Cloud State, Denver, et cetera, have had to uh, have had to uh, have had to deal with that. And then some of their uh, former uh, WCHA foes like uh, Minnesota State Mankato and uh, and Minnesota uh, were talking about that, too. So it's definitely become an interesting topic on social media. And I think uh, it brings into question the whole kind of vibe of toxic fandom it was something 30 years ago i think people overlooked a little bit more but as the years progress i think it's something that really needs to be addressed at an institutional level um looking at it from just kind of like a pr and promotional point of view starting to try to lay the groundwork to try and reduce uh some of that happening as something that i think we're going to touch on there were a lot of youth teams at this game you know, the Maverick Stampede from the Omaha Hockey Club was taking place. A lot of games taking place in Baxter. I know as, you know, our daughter's playing in that tournament in previous years, you know, the the tournament staff works with the teams and, you know, Omaha Hockey and the Lancers to get group tickets. So there's there were a lot of kids in that arena who may come from communities where they don't have a team to go watch. And for them to come and you know, see that kind of behavior, you know, as a parent, I'm like, I don't want my kids to, to experience that. And, you know, if you have, you know, just casual fans that haven't come to a game before, you know, they may not come back because they don't know that that's not like that every weekend. Or how many of them say, I don't want to play college hockey because of that. Like, I don't want to be around that kind of atmosphere. So I'm just, you know, I'm not going to go to college and play hockey. I'm going to go play minor hockey or something up in, in Canada or something like there's, there's a lot of exposure issues, I think for the league, for NCHC and for NCAA as a whole, that you need to say, this is kind of stuff is, is not stop saying like, there's no tolerance, like start doing something about it. You've got to start taking steps to say, we can't let this happen again. Well, and Jolene brought up a good point about, you know, the kids witnessing that I talked to a couple of people who saw the gentleman uh, who had a, very serious head wound and was bleeding profusely. And they said it was very disturbing for them to witness that. So I hope that not a lot of uh, children did see that because I could see that that would be traumatic for them. We did get an update 
from uh, the gentleman's wife uh, through Twitter. And she messaged us to let us know. Well, she posted it. And then uh, I talked to her through DM uh, to say that it took three hours for the medical staff at the hospital to close the wound. And he was still in the hospital as of yesterday. So our best wishes uh, go out to him for a full recovery uh, from his injuries. And we hope that that, never, that kind of thing never happens again, because uh, there's no place for it in college hockey or at Baxter Arena. Turning to our second shootout segment, Jolene brought up uh, the number of youth teams that were in the arena over the weekend. And that brings up a favorite Bridget rant. And I know Jolene's going to jo join me on this one. As we talk about parking at Baxter Arena once again. Now, I know this was the final home series of the season, but we really have to get a little bit better coordination from the parking folks. I know it's either campus police or sometimes Omaha police that help with that. But when you encourage your season ticket holders to park in a lot and then close off access to that lot, despite the fact that there's open spots in that, you're creating a lot more problems than you need to. And we know it was a busy weekend. There were games on the, um, the Holland ice. There was a baseball game going on at Maverick Park which of course is just due west of Baxter Arena. But this is the kind of thing, they knew those things were happening ahead of time. And Jolene, do you wanna talk about, uh, you had a similar experience parking on Saturday night that we did. Yeah, I mean, we, we drove in our normal way to go in and we always kind of come across next to the baseball stadiums. So you can kind of look and see, oh, are there gonna be spots in that lot? Cause you know, if they're not, then you gotta go all the way around. Um, and so if, if we look like there aren't, we always cut under and come back around the other way, but you know, we could, we could clearly see several open spots. And as we came up to it, it was all blocked off. So we couldn't turn in and, you know, the traffic attendant there was like, you know, nope, it's full, I'm like, but it's not full. Like you can see the spots. He's like, it's full, go on. So, you know, it was cold and. You know, so luckily my, my dad had driven my youngest and I, and so he just dropped us off and, and then I don't, I don't actually know where they ended up parking, but you know, it's just that like, I'm frustrated. I, it frustrates me when I can clearly see that there are plenty of spots and you're like, nope, we're just not going to do it. So well, I think you guys had got some more information on it though. Well, yeah. And, and I will tell you the, the same parking attendant when Bridget's like, there are spots there. Are you going to open it up? He's like, no, no, we're not going to open it up. There's, there's too much foot traffic. And I'm like, well, it's a parking lot. Of course there's foot traffic. I mean, and so then we were behind a truck from a guy who had wanted to pull in there who had Iowa plates. And so we had to pull around to where the club side was because we were trying to get around the arena. So, so, but then he stopped right by the club entrance. Not in the little parking roundabout, just no. stopped in the middle of the lane. And had his two sons get out and the sons were pulling out their gear out of the back of his pickup truck. And like, they just kept looking at us. And there's just like, it was like, it reminded me sometimes of the kids at the pool where you're just like, hurry up, get moved. I, I mean, I finally rolled down my window and I'm like, guys, let's pick up the pace here. Let's get moving. So it was just, it was one of the, now. I'm going to say this. I, I love the youth hockey apparatus in Omaha or the youth hockey mafia, as I call it. I love it. I love the idea. I'm sure that Mike Kemp is like, oh, this it's a great idea to host these teams coming to Omaha when we're having a big series against North Dakota going on, because potentially these players could become recruits for us one day down the road, right? We're all paying to be there. There aren't that many 
home series that we get to enjoy every season. And certainly the North Dakota one's one of the big ones that we're all excited about. I just, I'd like to be able to go park at the arena. I don't, there's a lot of days in a year. There's a lot of weekends when UNO's not at home. There's part of me that kind of wishes that they could do that on a weekend when the hockey team isn't playing, mainly because they could use the regular ice, they could use the Holland ice sheet, and there would be plenty of parking for the parents of the youth hockey players. They still get to see this great facility. I don't know why we have to have three things going on at once. It just creates a lot of problems, especially for people here in Omaha who might become season ticket holders who are coming to a game maybe for the first time. And you don't want to have a situation where parking is just a giant nightmare or they're going to think parking is a giant nightmare every weekend. Well, yeah. and not the attendants had gave you no idea what to do. They were just like, nope, can't park here. And then you're like, well, now where do I go? Well, I know where to go, but the Iowa truck didn't know where to go. And they were of no use for that at all. Well, I think as a, as a youth hockey parent and have, having experienced this, like they needed to do a better job of explaining where the youth hockey people should park and where they should go. Like that should have been like, there should have been an area designated. This is where you park for the youth hockey game. This is where you go in. You know, we, Maddie and I went into the club section and there were two people that walked in there trying to get to the Holland ice and we're told, nope, you got to go out and go all the way around. But they didn't know that. So it's really difficult having like to John's point of having it at the same time that you have this big an event on the main ice. And the the best solution really is to say, like, we just can't have events on on the community sheet when we have events on the main ice. The challenge is, is that like if it's not hockey, it could be something else. It could be a you know, a concert. I know people, I, I've had this experience going to men's league games at what used to be Ralston, because I know they have a new name, Liberty. Um, but like, like when it's a hockey game, we expect it because we're built into that. Like we know it's a Lancers game. So we know, you know, where to park, but we've had people that have had their car towed because they park in front of the hotel that's right next to it, shares the same parking lot, but they don't realize that these two rows are reserved because there's no signage that says it. And people have fought that for years there because they get their car towed. And it's like, I didn't, there's nothing that tells me that this is hotel parking, right? So I think the simplest solution is just to not do it. After that, then you've got to have stuff. And, and maybe this goes to our conversations about fan perks. Uh, a season ticket perk is say like, for the longest time, we recommended that season ticket holders park in that lot. Now that's where season ticket holders park. It's part of your season ticket holder pass. If we have to charge you a little bit more, you know, at least you know you're going to be able to park in that lot. And if you want really nice parking spaces, you know, you can pay more like we have now and, and park in the what Baxter lot, Lexus lot or whatever it is, you know, and you can still sell it. I think you can still sell a premium parking spot and a normal parking spot and say, like, if you're parking here and you're not a season ticket holder, then you park over here. And I know plenty, like DU does that. If you buy season tickets, you can park in certain places. It's not transferable. I like that about, uh, I know Michigan does that. Um, I don't think Boston or Boston College do it, but I know Michigan does it uh, in that you can't sell your parking pass to someone else or anything like that. It's just, you're a season ticket holder. Here's your license plates. Here's a little sticker that goes on your car. And that's what gets you into that lot. It encourages me as a season ticket holder to go to the games because I want to take advantage of what I just bought, right? But it's also something that you don't have to worry about 
other fans being in there and maybe solve some of our North Dakota problems at the same time. I love how Jason turned uh, my parking rant into a perks of being a season ticket holder thing. Way to go, Jason. <laughs> On a lighter note, uh, our third shootout segment has to do with our beloved Mavboni which got national recognition this weekend. Uh, it first appeared on the Hockey Night in Canada Twitter feed, and then it was picked up by the Spittin' Chicklets Twitter feed, both of which have over uh, 400,000 and, well, 500,000 and 400,000 followers respectively. But it sounds like, uh, Jason, that it even got more recognition. Uh, yeah, it was on the, in the ESPN app on the news feed. It was one of the stories inside of the news feed on the ESPN app. And it was on SportsCenter last night, too. It was on too. SportsCenter last night, too. So I think that is awesome. You know, the amazing thing is that thing has been around for more than 20 years now. And it's great that Greg, uh, our great fan, friend and fan, is getting recognition for that amazing little machine that he built out of a motorized bar stool platform and customized. And he has been faithfully picking up the fish. I think he's only missed probably a dozen or fewer appearances that I know of. Uh, over the past 20 years. And Jolene, one of the best podcasts that we had was uh, our ill-fated attempt to get you to drive it this season. And it uh, it was taken over by a different Mavboni driver that got us a lot of podcast views, but I think it would have been fun for you to get to see how that thing worked. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fun to drive on my little test run. So I'm still open to do it again. Yeah, and I would say a lot of younger fans aren't familiar with how the fish toss started and the Mav Boney pickup started. And so uh, we'll have to see if we can uh, uh, get uh, Greg and John Martin, who throws the fish, get them uh, on a podcast at some point to uh, to talk about that and explain that for people. And some just assume that the university always did it going back to the beginning of the program, but they didn't. So it's one of those really unique traditions. Okay, so... Now that we're talking about good things, let's talk about this upcoming weekend series. It's the playoffs, and we're taking on Western Michigan and Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. I just, it's fun to say. <laughs> fun to go, too. It's a fun place yeah, to and, play. And they, they kind of refer to it as K-Zoo when you're there. There are a bunch of billboards that are the you know giant letter K with zoo. So it's definitely an interesting place to go. Uh, our niece, Hannah, was a, a collegiate gymnast. Uh, at Western Michigan, uh, probably been about 10, 10, years. 10 years ago now that she was there. So uh, we're very familiar with Western Michigan. We've gone on, I think, four trips there, minimum four trips. It may be more. Including a very memorable bus trip that we cannot talk about on the podcast. But if you want to know and you weren't there, we'll tell you about it. It definitely later. involves our Mad Boney driver. And the cool thing about that was Scott Parse's parents through our bus trip attendees, a pregame party. We didn't know we got to the hotel. And they had arranged to have food and beverages for us in one of the party rooms at the hotel before the game on Friday night, which I just thought was so sweet that they did that. Nobody told us we just got there and there was food and drink for uh, the attendees. So that's uh, got a lot of great parents and a lot of great players on this team. So we have fond memories of Kalamazoo. We won't be in Kalamazoo. We'll be watching it on NCHC TV this weekend, but a best of three series up there against the Broncos. Should be interesting. We only played them once this season. Back in the first half of the season, it was a split. We had a, a Saturday night win where we won one to nothing, which was a really close, low story, scoring game, which is not the type of game that UNO typically likes to play. So what do you guys think about this series? 
Well, if you were to ask me eight weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, I would not wanted to go to Western Michigan. They were on such a hot streak. I think they were number one in the country for a little bit this season. They've struggled as of recent. So I, I think our chances, the way Omaha has played in the last six games. I mean, if you would have told me six weeks ago that we would take four of the six games and take one to overtime, I don't think I would have believed you. I mean, I know John said, we're just going to win six straight and it came pretty close, but uh, so I like our chances. I do think it'll probably go to three, but I I like our chances up there. The key for Omaha is to get our offense going. If I think what, what hurt us when we were up there before was in the first game, we kind of sat back and let the play come to us a little bit and, and we dug ourselves a bit of a hole. And then in the second game, we came out with a little bit more, you know, firepower, but we were, we were in that that period of our time where we were kind of struggling to find some scoring consistency. Uh, there was a lot of hot and cold nights and things that, that came through there. And so I think the guys need to go out, you know, much like they played against North Dakota and just pepper them, you know, really take every every opportunity you have, you know, trust the system, trust the teammates. And, and if they if they play the way they played, like Jolene just mentioned, the way that they played the last three weeks in the last three series, then I, I really, really like our chances. And stay out of the box. Well, that's always, I mean, and we've rarely been able to do that. So good luck. <laughs> we did pretty good last night staying out of the box. Some very inopportune penalties that came in there. They've got to stay out of the box. Um, that seems to be their Achilles heel. It's really the Achilles heel for uh, for any team in college hockey to uh, to be playing uh, in odd man situations. Um, looking at this series, I didn't know that we were going to have to talk about Western Michigan anymore after that uh, series back in the first half of the season. I was excited not to talk about Papillion resident Ethan Frank anymore. I thought we were done. The super senior has 25 goals and 10 assists on the season. Uh, he was key in their sweep over Miami to end the regular season at Lawson Ice Arena. Lots of interesting controversies swirling around against Western Michigan. We're not going to mention those, but uh, but there was a player to dismiss from the team earlier and a lot of interesting allegations going on against that team. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know if that'll prove to be a distraction for the team or if it'll kind of unify that team uh, to come out and make a statement against UNO. I'm going to say that we do well in this series. I'm going to say that this goes three games, though, and I'm going to say that we win in a best of three. I think the guys are very, very capable. We've got a lot of talent, a lot of depth on this team, and this is the time to get it done. They've got a great opportunity. You know, I was talking with my friend Mike Shellhart before the game uh, against North Dakota on Saturday night, and he was talking, and he said, you know, you look at this team talent-wise, and you look at uh, Isaiah Seville, And this team might be more talented than the team that made the Frozen Four back in 2015. And yes, I know Jake Ginsel, who all of the UNO fans love uh, to tweet about and post about uh, online, was on that team. But I agree with him. I think that we are more talented. I hope they make it to St. Paul. I'm excited about that possibility mainly because they've never made it there. So that would be uh, that'd be fantastic. Julian's at Omaha in three, right? I'm at Omaha in three. John's Omaha in three. Okay. So building on Jolene earlier talking about uh, records falling and the fact that we finally had a win to end the season at Baxter Arena, I agree that this might be the year that we break that streak of not making it to the frozen faceoff. I also have Omaha in three. I gave it some thought about how I thought it would happen, and I just can't explain it. 
but I think they get it done and we finally make it, we get that little Maddie monkey off the team's back and we make it to the frozen face off for the first time this year. See, I got to decide if I'm, I'm, if I'm peer pressured into the group or not. Huh? <laughs> you don't have to. Um, um, I, I do want to say this before I pick. I, to John's point, I think that as a team, we're probably better than the frozen, frozen four, but we had a better offense then. A more consistent offense, let's say, for sure. I, you know, I like our team. I like our chances. I think someone's got to be different. So I'm going to say Omaha in two. I'm going to say that we're just going to, a little chip to our shoulder. You know, we know that our chances of making NCAA stuff hinges on, on us having it not only a good showing in those games, but also coming through at that next level when we get to Minnesota. So I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm going to say Omaha in two. And I, and I know you guys are going to be at a youth hockey tournament on Frozen Faceoff weekend. And I'm giving you permission to skip going to it if UNO makes it to St. Paul, because I want to hang out with you guys at the Frozen Faceoff. So, uh, so whatever I need to do to make that happen, I don't know if I need to shut down Kansas City, you know, put some barricades up uh, on I-29 so you guys can't get there. I don't know what needs to happen, but uh, but I'm my fingers are crossed that the scenario happens so that you guys have to debate in your mind what <laughs> you're going to do. I have considered just sending him and Lexi and Batty and I head north. That sounds like a great idea. Just send Jason <laughs> off. Now, one thing uh, we've had this discussion before, but I'm wondering if UNO has considered showing any of those uh, games two or three on the Baxter Arena scoreboard. We hope that it's something maybe that they would consider. I know we were talking to our friend Scott. He is not an NCHC TV subscriber, and he was disappointed that he didn't have a way to follow this upcoming weekend's game. So maybe it's something for UNO to consider. Yeah, or even, you know, if they could do something that they've done in the past when, when we had the Frozen Four and they had the theater option for us and go see there, like something that the, the school and the team sponsors would be pretty cool. Pretty cool. And so maybe they're out there listening. Maybe they listened to the segment out last week and thought that sounds like a fantastic idea. Let's try that out for our fans this season. I don't know what'll happen, but be sure to follow Bridget on Twitter. She will be tweeting uh, this playoff series at uh, Western Michigan coming up this weekend. So until next week, when we get to talk about the outcome of that playoff series, I'm going to say go Mavs. Go Mavs! Go Mavs! Go Mavs!